At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. In a culture growing in hostility, it's clear how far we are from what the kingdom of God should look like. As followers of Christ, it can be difficult to stand firm in what we are taught and what we believe in. It's easy to let idols slip into our lives without us even realizing it, especially when the world we live in puts people on a pedestal. In our new series, Daniel, The Clash of Cultures, we'll be looking at the life of Daniel and how even then Daniel had to navigate a culture who opposed God. We'll discover how we can put our trust in God regardless of our circumstances and how God is sovereign over all. Join us this new year as we study the life of Daniel and learn how to apply the truths inside this book to our own lives. Friday evening, February 16th. Also, want to quickly remind you men that our next band of brothers is Monday, February 5th at 7 p.m. So uh, look forward to seeing all of you there. At this time, I would like to invite up to the platform uh, Pastor Winston and Andy and Don Whisper. Morning, church. Yeah, there's a big, big event going on, right? So uh, I see that we're wearing a lot of blue. I just need to live in Michigan, uh, their championship, for a couple more weeks. So that's why I'm, I'm wearing my yellow. Uh, but that's a lot less important than what we're about to do right now. And uh, let's get you in the lights, my friend. Uh, I'm excited to welcome on our staff team, Andy Wisman as our next associate pastor. Yes. Yes. We are so excited. Been praying for this for well before even I was here. He served in our residency program and went through the Leadership Institute. Uh, but God put on his heart the call to ministry and uh, us as leadership, we affirm that. And so we celebrate that he is coming on staff as our associate pastor. And, and we celebrate that uh, we've experienced the growth to bring another staff member on. And, and all of you know, or hopefully everyone knows Dawn, our children's director. She's amazing and such a blessing. And, and so we celebrate this. Andy is a friend, is a brother. Uh, this is so amazing for our church, but even just for the fellowship of our staff. So we, we celebrate that. And he'll be down in the uh, commons area downstairs after service if you want to introduce yourself to him or congratulate him uh, for joining the team. Uh, but today also, we want to pray over him, commissioning him for the service and the work of pastor here. So let's all pray with him right now. Heavenly Father, we give you praise and thanksgiving for the opportunity to bring Andy on as full-time staff. Father, he has a shepherd's heart. He has been gifted by you to be a leader in the church. He has demonstrated that for so many years here at this campus. And we are here today to commission him, to lay hands on him, to invite your blessing upon his life and his ministry. We thank you for Dawn. We pray that together as a couple, as they serve you, Lord, that they would not only be an example for the rest of us, but Father, you would encourage them in their hearts and their spirits. May their service and ministry to the church flow out of, Father, their own personal relationship with one another and with you. 
bless them, Father, for the furtherance of your kingdom, for the continuing of this campus and ministry. And Father, as we reach out into the community, we give you praise for the opportunity in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give it up for Andy joining our team. So, yeah, a lot of great things that we can celebrate as a church here, from our new children's wing to uh, additional space for Bible study and for offices and being able to bring another staff member on. And, and God, God has done some incredible things here. We want to give him every ounce of the glory. And uh, actually very telling with our topic today because it has to do with pride, you know? And uh, man, God is so good. He's been so good to us as a church. Uh, he's been so good to us as individuals. And uh, that's something we can celebrate every single day. And, and so with that being said, I'm going to admit a couple things this morning, but the first thing is this. I love to banter, right? I love to banter. I love to debate. I love to throw some shade at certain, you know, athletes and other people I know they like, you know. I, I like to cause debates every once in a while. Was it John Lennon or Paul McCartney for why the Beatles were successful? You know, is it uh, Bill Belichick or Tom Brady? Why were the Patriots good? Or Tom Brady and Peyton Manning when he was still playing or both of them were still playing? You know, these debates, they're fun. It's, it's good banter. But essentially, it all comes down to the question, who gets the credits? Right? Everyone is, is jawing and grabbing for the credit, right? And maybe we've been in a place before where we've worked on a project, we've worked on something around the house, uh, at work, and, and we put our, our life, our soul, our energy into this project to then see someone take the credit. Have we ever had that happen before? Yeah? Yep. I see wives pointing to the men, you know? Okay. Uh, but the thing is this. We, we see often that people want to associate, why are we here? Even the Lions, why are they good? Is it Jared Goff? Is it Dan Campbell? Is it Aaron Glenn? Is it, is it uh, Brad Holmes? People are always looking to credit someone and, and take some credit away from someone else, to give it to someone else, and that's no different with us and our lives, wanting to earn and have achievement and credit and to be seen. Uh, but going on a deeper level, you look at our lives, you look at everything we've accomplished, everything we work towards, and you have to ask the question, who's responsible for the good things of our lives? Who's responsible for the credit of the success and the achievements, everything that we have gained, whether it's you know, acclaim in our career, in our lives, financial prosperity, fruitful ministry, whatever it may be, who is the recipient of the credit? And so here we are, week four of our series on Daniel, Clash of the Kingdoms, and we've covered some really good material in the sense of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, and then being taken away from Israel and taken to the la land of the Babylonians. And this week is, is a really interesting week because we're not really focusing on Daniel and we're definitely not even focusing on his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Today's topic, we're going to pivot for a moment, because this topic of chapter 4 is all about King Nebuchadnezzar. 
So here we're going to talk about this king, this powerful Babylonian king, and it has to do with his own pride. And so if you turn to Daniel chapter 4, there, there's a lot that we're going to be covering. And specifically with Nebuchadnezzar, we've talked about how great of a king he was. And this vast kingdom, one of the greatest kingdoms of the world. And definitely the greatest kingdom of the time. And so you got to look at Nebuchadnezzar, whether from Christian sources or secular sources, he is affirmed as a great king. Uh, so much so that... In the ancient world, the city of Babylon had one of the seven wonders of the world. The, the hanging gardens of the city of Babylon were something to be seen, something to marvel at. And, and so King Nebuchadnezzar, he was known for his architecture. He was known for the vastness of his empire. And he ruled for a long time, over 40 years and he created a legacy and a beauty that the world had not really seen up to this point. And one biblical historian refers to him as one of the most successful kings known to history. I mean, especially even just that he crushed, dismantled, wiped out the Assyrian Empire. I mean, this was a powerful nation at the time. He wiped them right out. He went through Judah. He went all the way to Egypt at a time when road systems and travel and having a, an, a, an army moving them uh, long distances, this was not easy. He was a man who, even in the book of, of John in Revelation, the gospel uh, uh, of John, and in Revelation, they talk about him and who he was when seen in, in just the biblical story. In, in Revelation, he's known as Babylon the Great. In the book of Isaiah, it talks about the kingdom of Babylon. It existed in the point of history where it was known as the glory of kingdoms, the splendor and pomp of the Chaldeans. So, so you see this, this trend throughout scripture, and he even left clues along the way. Archaeologists have found numerous things on Nebuchadnezzar. So it's not just something that we read in scripture and then outside of scripture there's no secular evidence. It is believed that he used 164 million bricks to fortify the northern wall of the city of Babylon. 164 million bricks. And on almost each brick he wrote this phrase provided by King Nebuchadnezzar. So he made a focused effort to say, I did this. I accomplished this. I deserve the credit. He, he left his fingerprints along the way so people could see the greatness of his kingdom and how great of a king he was. He was not someone who struggled with confidence. I mean, we're not talking about Mr. Rogers, right? Like, this guy was ruthless. He was pretty overconfident, cocky, self-absorbed, arrogant. He was very arrogant. I actually once knew an arrogant sponge. Very self-absorbed. Very. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> but when it comes to Scripture... That was bad. It was worth the risk. Um, <laughs> you see often 
throughout the word and, and, and even built up in, in the New Testament, 1 Peter 5.5 5 and, and James 4.6, that it says clearly that God is opposed to those with pride, to the proud. God is not neutral with arrogance. That he is opposed to the proud. He brings them low. But pride is something we talk about often, and, and pride, uh, in the simplest form, a definition, is giving ourselves credit for something that God accomplished. It's taking the glory away from God and, and what belongs to him and giving it to ourselves. And so, essentially, pride is self-worship. It's worshiping, look at what I've done. I've done this. I've worked. I didn't have the silver spoon. I'm the first one to accomplish a college degree. I'm the first one to get this promotion. I'm the one who has achieved this financial freedom. I'm the one who God's using in pretty cool ways, right? We could take pride anywhere and take it away from God and, and say that it's from us. And somehow we're the one who conjured it up. And, and that's what's happening with King Nebuchadnezzar. He's arrogant. He's overly confident. And he's about to be humbled in Daniel chapter 4. And, and so what we see here in Daniel 4 is it shows us how God opposes the king's pride and helps bring him to a genuine place of humility. But what he first did to get him to that point is he warned him. He, he gave him a warning. He told him. He guided him that, hey, if you don't do this, you will be humbled. So jump into Daniel chapter 4. And I'm going to share different points from the first 27 verses as we're in here. And it all starts off with, with King Nebuchadnezzar. And he begins retelling the story of how his home and his palace has prospered. And pretty much how great he's doing, right? And then he has a dream. And so you see this dream that he has. And, and it bothers him. So another dream that he can't interpret. He wakes up bothered, confused. And so he gets his scholars. He gets his, his, his counsel. He gets his, his best leaders that could give him interpretation. And one of those people is Daniel. And so here comes Daniel onto the scene. And he wants this dream to be interpreted. And so Daniel comes in and he hears this dream. And there's this image of this massive tree. And so in this dream, this huge, massive, great tree, it grew up and it covered the whole world. And it was reaching the heavens. And, and so this tree also, it provided food and shade for all the animals. And so as you see it go on in verses 14 and 15, there's a voice that came from heaven and said, chop down this tree, but leave the stump and put a band of iron and bronze around the stump. And then if you go on to verse 16 of Daniel chapter 4, it says this. It says, let his mind be changed from a man's. And let a beast mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over him. And so when Daniel hears this dream, 
he's bothered. He's, he's troubled, rightly so. He, he's even a little confused. And, and so then King Nebuchadnezzar actually notices that Daniel is troubled. And so he says to him in his name that he gave him, his Babylonian name, he says, Belshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. We see that in verse 19. But Daniel's explanation of the dream is going to confirm that it was right for him and for the king to be frightened. Because in verse 22, Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, he says, hey, the tree is you. You are the tree. You are the one that's going to get chopped down. You are going to be the one whose kingdom is going to be taken from you. And it's you that's going to lose your mind and be among the animals of the field. And then the most telling part is verse 27. And he says this, and this is practical to every single person in this room. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity. So essentially he's saying, repent, turn, break away from your sins, practice righteousness. This will lengthen your day, show mercy to the marginalized, to the oppressed. And, and this will be what God will do with you. He will lengthen your days. He will, he will give you a better life. Now let me talk about my very first car that I owned. It was a 1992 Pontiac Sunfire. It was blue. Okay, Does anyone, did anyone in this room own a Pontiac Sunfire? Anyone? Good. Okay, first service was exactly the same. That thing spent more time in the garage than in or on the road. So I got this Pontiac Sunfire, and, and it was one of my favorite things about it was the Christmas lights on the inside, right? And so you look at the dashboard, and there's all these different colored lights on at all times. And, and so it got to the point I started putting pictures in front of my check engine lights. You know, so there you go. And, and essentially, my dashboard, there were certain lights that were always on. And these lights, they exist there on the dashboard to warn you about something. The check engine light comes on to say, hey, there's something wrong with your engine. Get it checked out. Right? First service, someone said, yep, we were going to go this week. And when they were driving, the check engine light went off. And so they're like, it's playing games with us. You know, but, but the gist is this. You have these signs and these symbols and these lights to tell you something that is wrong and, and make you aware of it. Check the tire pressure. You know, get an oil change. Now, that car was so old, I mean, it didn't have all those nice bells and whistles. But what happened was because I did not get my engine checked, guess what happened? It broke down. And so there I am on the side of the highway because I did not heed the warning of the dashboard. So you think about King Nebuchadnezzar. So let's, let's bring this back to him. He's getting those warnings, right? Daniel is the one who came to him and, and warned him, hey, I'm not saying this is going to happen right now, but this will happen. You and your dashboard of life, it's lighting up, it's buzzing, it's dinging, it's flashing through this dream. God gave you this dream to get you the attention. 
And then he brought me in to interpret this dream for you. He's warning you, break from your life of sin. And so as we see the story progress, spoiler alert, he didn't listen. And so it brings back to us, what does this have to do with us? Where do you see the lights flashing on the dashboard of your life? Light flash, I'm burning out. I can't keep this pace up. This is not healthy. I'm going to crash. I'm going to break down with anxiety and depression and panic attacks. This sin is eating me alive. I am, I am uh, living a false life and, and I'm afraid. I can't believe I can break from this. What are those things flashing in your life? Maybe you don't even know. You just know something's not right. Like I can't put a thumb on it, but things are just not right in my life right now. Just with God, my relationship, just something is not there and and I can't figure it out. What is it in your life? The warning lights that are flashing. Better yet, what areas are you clinging to sin? Some of us, we might be like, yes, I know exactly what it is. It's not a warning because I, I know it. I'm living it. I'm in it. I'm consumed by it. I'm crippled by it. I'm overcome by it. Hear the call of the gospel to repent. Daniel gave him a warning, and we have an opportunity to hear this warning and humble ourselves to his kingship over our lives. So again, it doesn't just happen, but he's warned. God opposes the proud and works to bring us to a place of humility. That's the beauty of a relationship with God, like a, like a parent disciple disciplining their child. He's going to discipline whom he loves. And so it starts off with a warning. Yep, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but eventually, he didn't respond. So, so what happens when you don't, you don't get a response? It just continues Well, then it turns into what we know as judgment. So here it went from a warning, don't do that, to now it turned into that he was judged for his sin. And so it's the same with us, that God judges us for our sins. Look at what it says in Daniel chapter 4, starting in verse 28, what happens to King Nebuchadnezzar. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, so there's a 12-month span from the dream in the interpretation to now, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar. To you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as an eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. So here we have... Not just the warning, but there's actual judgment that happens. 
Just like the ignoring of the check engine light, which leads to the car breaking down, Nebuchadnezzar, he remains unresponsive to the warning of his dream, and instead he continues with his boisterous self-confidence. And then that's when we see in verse 30, he says, is this not Babylon the Great, which I have built for my power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? In other words, once again, the king is saying, I did this. I accomplished this. I deserve the credit. And it's right at that moment where judgment came down from heaven, the dream was fulfilled, the kingdom was taken from him, he lost his mind, he grew the nails like the Kardashians, he became a beast of the field and grew out feathers, right? Like what happened here was he lost his cookies for seven times, seven seasons, like a beast of the field. And there he is. The kingdom is no longer his because he's a madman. And so we hear this, and it's interesting to me because as a parent, I said I was going to share two stories or confessions. The second one is this. I think I'm the king of false threats. Like with my kids, it's like if they don't put that bowl in the sink, I'm like, Christmas is canceled, right? Like there's no in-between, right? I I struggle with the in-between punishments, right? Like you have an hour of no electronics. It's like always the extreme, right? And, and the truth is they know when it's not real, right? Like they know, okay, that's, that's not a real threat. He's not taking my presence. Like he's not doing that. And, and so I was looking into this and empty threats are actually very common. And a, a pediatric specialist and medical professor, Hannah Bargova, she mentioned that kids, they understand the difference between a fake threat, and a real threat. That your toddlers, your little ones, one, two, three-year-olds, they can discern the difference when mom and dad are just, you know, blowing smoke and when, no, this is real. I, I, better, I better focus in. I better get this done. And, and so meanwhile, when, when we're giving those false threats, the kids are smirking, right? And, and I understand this because I've witnessed it myself But despite the three-year-olds having a strong radar for empty threats, the king of Babylon, he's thinking the same thing. It's not going to happen. That's just an empty threat. There's no way that's going to happen to me. How in the world could that happen to me? But God is not a fickle parent like I am at times. He follows through. His yes is yes, and his no is no. And so he, king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, refuses to acknowledge the divine warning. But again, God makes no empty threats. He says what he means, and he does what he says. And so here, as we see in King Nebuchadnezzar, when he is bloating and and confident about all that he had done, it immediately happened. And he was not giving God the credit that he deserved He was not giving God the credit for the reason he was the king of Babylon. He thought it was all from himself. He thought everything he had accomplished derived from himself in his own little controlling world. 
But we all know that that is not true. Everything from our lives to the creation itself cries and, and sings and speaks of the glory of God. Even thinking about the evidence we see in the Psalms. You think about Psalm chapter 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. Just the heavens, the world declares the glory of God. The Apostle Paul talks about in Romans that God's eternal power and divine nature are clearly seen or perceived since the creation of the world. People might not believe, but when you see the world and you see the intricacies of the world, they have to understand there's something bigger than ourselves. Just look and witness and experience. And so King Nebuchadnezzar, with his struggle with arrogance, his struggle to live a righteous life in this world, he was taking all the credit for himself. Well, the beauty is that God has given us, he's given us a conscience, he's given us his Holy Spirit, he's given us his creation, and they all work together to show us the reality of God and everything that we have. But there's a point to, to this part, which, what's interesting is noting that King Nebuchadnezzar, he never had a problem or he never failed to perceive the warning. He, he might have even had the warning memorized. He probably remembered it. His problem wasn't that he didn't hear God's warning. His problem was that he was complacent with God's warning. It's the same with us at times. It's not that we didn't hear the warning or hear the word or hear the message or hear which a friend speaking truth in us. It's what we do with that. Are we complacent with his word? Are we complacent with the reality of sin in our life? We got it. We just don't care. Or we're not willing to do what it takes. That's what Nebuchadnezzar lived with. He was unbothered with the warning. He continued on. And so we see with this, the warning, the judgment, and then we see the judgment where he's lost his mind and is living like the animals. But that's not the end of his story. What we see next is Nebuchadnezzar's story tells us that if we repent and heed or listen to God's warnings of judgment, God will restore us by grace, right? Because some of us, we might be like, the judgment's coming. I'm no longer saved. You know, I am going to hell because of my sin and, and there's no hope for me. Well, then we got to be careful. We might turn that into a, a workspace faith. Okay, I got to do all this stuff so I get back in the good graces of God. Well, the beauty of it is we as sinners, we do sin, and, and the reality is that's the power of confession. That's the power of repentance. That's the power of accountability. So we, we understand we're not going at this alone. And if we truly repent, God is faithful. He'll restore us. He'll restore us by grace. That grace is the cross. Unmerited favor that Christ gave us for dying for us. And, and so we see with the story of Nebuchadnezzar that he actually restored him. Let's see what it says in Daniel chapter 4, verse 34 through verse 37. This is what it says. 
At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me. And I was established in my kingdom and still more greatness was added to me. Now I... Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. You see, God is not just the God of love. God is also the God of justice. We all know we're going to lean towards the love and the grace and he is faithful when we're faithless. We're all going to tilt that way. You know what I'm saying. But he's also a God of justice. And he will hold us accountable. But at the same time, we find out here through this story that repentance towards God leads to restoration with God. That it's not like, oh, that's it. I've had enough of you. You sin one last time. You're out. God is a God on a mission of restoration. Notice that it's only when Nebuchadnezzar lifted his eyes to the heavens that his reason returned to him. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar had to take his eyes off himself. And he finally got to the point and said, enough's enough. Here I am, God. I'm tired of trying. I'm tired of trying to work my own magic and my own abilities. When he lifted his eyes to the heaven, it was then that God returned and restored his reason and gave his kingdom back. He had been self-obsessed. He'd been self-consumed. He was convinced of his own brilliance. He gave credit for his glorious accomplishments. And God humbled him. And maybe some of the things we're walking through today... I can't say for sure, but maybe some of the things, the battles we're walking through is because we're on a journey to humility. Maybe we're, on, we're in a season where we are more proud than we think. And so I think about this, that God, he wants to restore, he wants to bless, but sometimes we get fixated too much on what we've done. I was reading about some Greek mythology this week, and actually about where the word narcissism and narcissist comes from. I hear that word often. Oh, he's a narcissist, she's a narcissist. It's more flippant nowadays, the word that's used. But it actually comes from uh, Greek mythology from the person known as Narcissus. And, and Narcissus was actually this, this figure that went and looked in the water and saw his reflection. And when he looked down and he saw his reflection in the water, he was so enamored by his beauty. He's like, man, I look good, right? Like, whoo, I'm one hot tamale, right? Like, he looked at himself. He was so fixated on himself. He was like a statue. 
and he stayed. He never took his gaze off of himself, and eventually he died from starvation. That's where the phrase narcissist comes from, because he was so focused on himself. And sometimes we need to take our eyes off of our world and lift our eyes up. And that's eventually what Nebuchadnezzar did. And it's interesting with pride because a lot of people, they're like, oh, I'm, I'm not that narcissist. I'm not that prideful. I'm not this or that. But, but I'm going to give you some questions. And if you can answer yes to these, there might be some pr- pride in your life that needs to be worked on. And, and so the question is, what do you see? What narcissistic Nebuchadnezzar-like arrogance do you see in your own life? And, and so I want to ask a couple questions underneath that. And hopefully these can spur some, oh, I, yeah, maybe, maybe there is something I got to work through. So the first one is, do you look down on your coworkers? You know, do you look at them and, oh, man, they're this or that? You, you look down on them. Do you put your own needs and desires ahead of your spouse? Are you unwilling to acknowledge your weaknesses to your friends? Are you resistant to the gospel's call for repentance in your life? Are you convinced that you're superior in some way? Are you convinced that you're always right? Or convinced you're worthy of the ultimate credit for building your little mini kingdom on earth with your money skills and self-sufficiency? And maybe if, if you can answer some of those, there might be some, some pride that needs to be unburied. It's not just a, hey, do this and that and then you'll be better. It's a digging a digging into your soul to see where does that come from? Why is that there? You know, C.S. Lewis wrote about pride often. Uh, one of the things he said is, it is the one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes. When he sees it in someone else, and one of which hardly any people ever imagine that they're guilty of themselves. It's so easy to see. Man, that person is stubborn and prideful and arrogant, but it's very difficult to look in the mirror and say, well, I wonder if I am in this area or that area. We saw with Nebuchadnezzar his tendencies, but what about our own life? What about us? God calls us to humble ourselves before the true king humble ourselves before him the dashboard might be going off lights flashing maybe you've known it for a while maybe you've come to terms with it today maybe you've realized it for the very first time and it's time to surrender those things and repent of those things to god because nebuchadnezzar was a strong king but jesus is the ultimate king right jesus is the ultimate king and eternal king of the world. Instead, uh, we are called to embrace humility. He was the perfect example of humility. He was the one who humbled himself and came and laid down his life in worship of this world so we can have restoration with God. He's the one who said, I did not come here to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. And we know he's the only one worthy of praise. So my challenge is humble yourselves before King Jesus so you can experience the fullness 
and the restoration and the joyful, worshipful relationship that God has designed for you. And so as we end today, we're, we're ending with a song, Graves to Gardens. And some of us, we're in a grave. We're in a grave of pride. We're in a grave of sin. We feel like we are dry in our faith. We are complacent in our faith. We're scared. We're angry. But God can restore that grave and he can turn it into a flourishing garden. And so our prayer is that we can surrender whatever it is on that dashboard that's going off. Give it to him. Put our hands up. Lift our eyes to the heavens. Repent and experience the amazing grace that comes through Christ. Father, I want to ask right now, whatever it may be, that we surrender that to you as we go into a week of prayer, a week of fasting. What a great time to surrender those, those sacred things in our life that we don't think we can get rid of or we've tried or we just, we need help. So Father, I pray right now we look up to you, we surrender, we listen to your warning, we listen to your judgments, and, and we can live in that beautiful grace. Again, God, we love you. We thank you so much. Turn our graves into gardens. Turn death into life, our valleys into mountaintops. And we pray this all in your name. Amen. Amen, church. Go ahead and stand to your feet. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.